everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will highlight the key foreign trips of both President Biden as well as Vice President Harris. We'll also recap some notable testimony up on Capitol Hill and follow up on some notable legislative initiatives. So joining me here for the conversation today, glad to welcome back as always, Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, great to have you back here on the podcast and looking forward to diving into some of these topics with you this week. Good to be with you, Dan. I'm glad uh, we can spend a few minutes together today. Absolutely, and there is a lot to cover, I know, overseas as well as here at home. Perhaps we can begin with a couple of those key foreign trips I had mentioned. I know this week Vice President Harris embarked on her first foreign trip, which consisted of stops in both Mexico and Guatemala. So, Shane, to set the stage, what was the nature of this particular trip? Uh, Maybe some key highlights, takeaways. I recall we had that press conference uh, just a couple of days ago in Mexico City. And then maybe also some color around what the reception of the trip has consisted of both here at home as well as abroad. Yeah, no, great to point out that this was uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris's uh, first uh, international trip as VP. You know, uh, there's always pressure on for these international trips, but heightened pressure for her because it was her first trip. And, you know, when she was a senator, she really wasn't known for her international policy uh, chops, if you will. So, you know, a lot of people have been watching this. And, you know, to be honest, it, it received criticism uh, from both sides of the aisle, you know, from Republicans and Democrats. The premise of the trip, obviously, was to uh, go to Guatemala, Mexico, and, and, you know, talk about the root causes of the inflow of uh, immigration to the U.S. Um, from the countries to our south. Um, you know, during the trip, uh, she was asked why hasn't she gone to the U.S.-Mexico border yet? She had a very flippant response that was not well received and, you know, really drew fire from Republicans who are, want to be tough on the border. Uh, and then from the left, you know, she had comments when she was telling, uh, I think it was Guatemalans, you know, not to come to the U.S., not to make that dangerous trek to illegally cross the border and that they would be turned away, you know, uh, from progressive Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, they were not receptive to this um, talking point from the vice president as, you know, they say, hey, if someone comes to seek asylum, our laws uh, allow that and we should to some extent encourage that behavior. So um, it was a tough go for her. You know, I think You know, she is a skilled politician, and and I would imagine that her next trip will be better than this one. But, uh, you know, this trip will be overshadowed by those kind of missteps for now. Um, You know, as for the root causes of immigration, you know, I think, you know, you you see her trying to delve into areas of um, corruption in, you know, Mexico and Guatemala and you know, unhealthy economies and climate change as some of the root causes. Um, but, you know, those th- things will be overlooked now because of her performance uh, down in Guatemala and Mexico. 
Okay, well, Shane, thank you for providing us with some highlights as far as the U.S.-Mexico border topic. I know we've covered that here on the podcast on a few occasions, and perhaps in a couple of weeks or a few weeks we can update on that in a bit more detail. Though, sticking with these key international trips, another key trip to highlight, President Biden will be in attendance at this weekend's G7 summit. So, what will be some of the key issues covered? I know it's high stakes during this upcoming summit, Shane, and what might be some notable meetings or engagements that you'll be monitoring in particular? Right. You know, uh, President uh, Biden, you know, this is his first international trip as well, though, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, he's a little bit more experienced on the international stage, you know, with his eight years as vice president traveling internationally and also his many years in the Senate where he served on the uh, Foreign Relations Committee. So he's a little bit more used to this. Uh, than Vice President Harris, although, you know, uh, this is his first go at it as the President of the United States. So there is a little difference there. Um, and as a reminder, you know, the G7 is made up of the U.S., U.K., Canada, France, Germany, Italy, and Japan. Um, so they are meeting in uh, England, uh, and they're going to be discussing a variety of topics. Obviously, uh, probably the first topic will be COVID, COVID response, vaccine distribution, um, and, you know, no coincidence that you just saw, uh, the U.S. announced the purchase of 500 million doses to be, um, donated internationally. I think you're going to see the G7 discuss a variety of other topics. You know, China and Russia will be hot and button issues. Uh, that will be a, a topic of conversation. Uh, additionally, things like climate change. Um, and don't forget, we just saw, um, you know, the G7, uh, the, U.S. Treasury Secretary, as the U.S.'s representative and uh, the other G7 nations, their finance ministers, talk, agree to a 15% global minimum tax. So there'll probably be some follow-up there. Uh, I think there'll be more on, you know, uh, fair and free trade. Um, so no shortage of topics to discuss over this three-day summit. Um, and obviously, you know, um, being in person this year, um, is exciting to many as, as you know, uh, the pandemic prevented this from being in person uh, more recently. Yeah, that, that's a notable difference from uh, last year. But thank you, Shane, for previewing some of these key issues that will be discussed, uh, debated at the upcoming G7 summit. And we'll look forward to following back up and hearing about some highlights and takeaways. Now, maybe sticking with foreign policy, though, coming back here at home, up on Capitol Hill, I know headlines emerged this week in the wake of a congressional testimony where Secretary of State Blinken outlined possible scenarios as to the origins of COVID-19. The drumbeat has been growing louder on this in recent weeks. So what did we learn from this testimony, Shane, and what might be some next steps taken by the administration? Yes, uh, Secretary of State uh, Blinken, he testified uh, about the State Department's budget before the Senate Appropriations Committee. So theoretically, this is, you know, to talk about the uh, State Department's budget, how much funding they should receive for the coming year, and, you know, how they spend that money. Um, but of course, anytime, uh, like, uh, Secretary of State is up on Capitol Hill, uh, senators are going to use that, uh, opportunity to talk about a variety of topics. And the, and COVID is obviously top of mind for many. So, you know, this was, uh, some senators, I think it was, um, Mike Braun of Indiana touched upon, um, the, the, uh, the 
State Department and reports that uh, from under the Trump administration that there were some great concerns uh, that COVID was actually a leak from a uh, Wuhan lab. Um, you know, I think, you know, Secretary of State Blinken, you know, played that down and said he had seen the report and he thought it was uh, um, incorrect on a number of levels. You know, I think that uh, they could be, at this time, you can't rule out that it was a leak or uh, from the uh, Wuhan lab. And there'll be more uh, investigation into this. Uh, Secretary Lincoln, uh, Blinken, excuse me, did obviously uh, note that there's been a real lack of transparency with China on this issue. And I think uh, even both sides would agree to that and are looking for more transparency from uh, China to try and actually determine the origins of COVID-19, because that is uh, really important on a variety of levels, you know, from the simple of how do you prevent this from happening again, uh, to actually saying, is someone at fault and did they hide it? You know, was the Chinese government aware of what happened and did they try and uh, play it down and that cost you know, thousands, if not millions of lives globally. So uh, this will be a topic pro- that probably is, will be continued to discuss for uh, months. Well, Shane, thank you for sharing some highlights. And to your point, indeed, we'll continue to track uh, these investigations and we'll follow up on future podcasts as we continue to learn more, maybe following up on a couple of key legislative items. So maybe we can begin with the For the People Act. And we've spoken about this quite a few times in the past. Now, the path forward now seems to be in question following some voiced opposition this week from within the ranks of the Democratic Party from a key Senate voting members. So what can you share with us? Yeah, Sarah and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who's one of the more moderate Democrats, um, you know, indicated that he does not support the bill and would not support it. Um, and, you know, a lot of Democrats were taken aback by this, but, you know, I, I don't think it should be that shocking. You know, the reality is, is that there were not Republicans to support this bill to begin with. So if for it to happen, Democrats would have one had to got getting rid of the filibuster, and then two gotten all Democrats to support it. Well, I think the reality is that we, we while there have been talking about limiting the filibuster, there is not sufficient support to do that. Um, so you know the path forward for this was always murky at best. So I think there are some Democrats who are trying to um, add fuel to the fire why the filibuster should be eliminated. Um, who are kind of banking on this, and they're trying to get people excited that, you know, the only way to move forward on this bill and other bills that Democrats um, care about is to eliminate the filibuster. So I kind of think this is a little bit of theater to an extent of that it's being played up to try and bolster the case to eliminate the, the filibuster, which won't happen, um, or at least we don't think it's going to happen. So um, uh, not surprising, but, you know, some people... Uh, act surprised to try and uh, benefit their longer-term goals. 
It's interesting, some of the dynamics in play there. So we'll see how this plays out. And maybe one more legislative item. I know we've been tracking very closely the infrastructure negotiations, a lot of implications here, and talks between the GOP and the White House. They seem to remain on shaky footing. So what has taken place this week, Shane, and what might the road ahead for bipartisan legislation look like? Yeah, great question. So at this point, you know, the uh, White House, President Biden, would have been negotiating with a Republican senator, Shelley Moore Capital from West Virginia. Um, they have been going back and forth. And finally this week, you know, they, they the two sides threw up their hands and have ended talks. Um, but there has been a quieter group of 20 uh, senators, 10 Republicans and 10, 10 Democrats who have been having conversations behind the scenes. Uh, so now the focus is on them to see if they can uh, come up with an agreement on infrastructure. Um, you know, I think they're making progress, but uh, I'm pessimistic at this point that they'll be able to reach an agreement. Um, my understanding currently is that the dollar amount that this uh, bipartisan group of 20 lawmakers is talking about, they're talking about something in the range of eight to $900 billion, which is less money than... Uh, President Biden and Republican Senator Capito had been discussing by almost about a hundred billion dollars. So, uh, if, if that the Biden Capito, uh, amount of almost a trillion dollars wasn't good enough, I, I don't see how this lower figure, uh, suffices. And you've already seen, um, progressive Democrats call for an end of these negotiations and that Democrats should just move forward with a reconciliation effort. Uh, where they could pass an infrastructure bill with just a simple majority. Uh, we think that's probably the likely outcome. But I think, you know, Democrats need to continue to uh, go down these bipartisan talks to show good faith efforts to those moderate Democrats um, who at this point are a little skeptical of going uh, the reconciliation route. They want to see uh, a real uh, effort in bipartisanship before they give up. So I think there are a few more weeks of this bipartisan talk on infrastructure uh, before it completely fails and then the pivot to a Democrat-only bill. Okay, well, we'll indeed see what the next several weeks and perhaps months have in store and whether or not lawmakers from both sides of the aisle can come together to reach some form of an agreement. Though, Shane, it was great catching up with you here on the podcast. As always, we covered a lot of ground, hitting on items both overseas and here at home that matter to our listeners, our clients. So wish you a nice weekend ahead, Shane, and we'll look forward to catching back up again with you here on the podcast soon. Sounds good, Dan. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. Now for clients of UBS, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the 
the most recent Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.